Let's open our Bibles to Proverbs. And I believe we got through all the way through chapter 6 last time. Is that funny, Timmy? Yeah. Yeah. And tonight we're going to be in chapter 7. I'm just, uh, yep, just making sure we covered all 6 and we did. So we're in chapter 7 tonight. And again, God, we just go before you knowing that you're holy, knowing that what you say is right and true. And sometimes maybe it seems too simple for us, but it's not. If we just think about it and consider it and chew on it, and really when we obey the things that seem simple, we realize how deep they are and how not simple they are without your spirit, God. So guide us and provide. And just let your word go forth uh, from all of us and uh, from this night. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's look at chapter 7. I don't know that I can delay any longer. It's probably going to be a little awkward because <laughs> it's one of those chapters that gets right to it. And I got to figure out how to make it kid friendly, but we will. It says chapter seven, my son. And again, as I always say this, I know Solomon's speaking to his son and maybe he's repeating the words of his dad to him, but it can be to you daughter as well. Just flopping around. If he's talking about an evil woman, think of it as an evil man. You know, women are evil, but so, so are men. Uh, but anyway, my son, keep my words and lay up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to the wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your kinswoman that they may keep you from the immoral woman from the seductress who flatters with her words. I'll stop there. I just want to look at a couple things. He says, lay up my commandments within you. Like we talked before that, man, the issues of life come out of your heart. That Jesus said, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's not that you had Burger King yesterday. Maybe it's not the most healthy thing, but it doesn't defile you. It's what comes out of your heart that defiles you, right? That sweater, uh, sweater. That bitter and sweet can't come out of the same fountain. And so when he says, "Keep uh, lay up my commandments within you, that's really where the commandments need to take hold is in our heart. Because our hearts, well, like it or not, they are sinful and likes to devise sinful things and sinful plans and sinful schemes and motives. And so we need to put them at the root. And let the word take hold in our heart. Because if it takes hold in our heart, it's going to take hold of the rest of our lives. And I think we can see that. If we compare someone who is in love with Jesus versus someone who just obeys the commands religiously, I think you'll see an obvious difference in the way their life is lived out. Even in the way the words that come out of their mouth. There will be something sweeter about the way someone who loves Jesus talks even goes grocery shopping versus the way the person who's just religious does, right? The religious person is outward only. And yet God would say, you guys are whitewashed tombs to the most religious people of their day. Why? Because their heart was far from God. And the only way to, to get our heart close to God is let his commandments not be an outward obedience, but let it be something that convicts our heart that we might see God correct our hearts. Because we can't keep the commandments in our own strength. We can only keep them by God's strength. If we've broken one, we've broken them all. But he says, keep my commandments and live 
Am I teaching as the apple of your eye? Like a lot of times we think obeying the law or obeying the rules is bad. And it's not bad. Um, the other day when I was driving home from the airport, I got pulled over. And I was really shocked I got pulled over. I saw the sheriff on the side of the road. I wondered what he was doing back there. It looked like he was doing something with the train tracks versus picking people off on the street. But I was coming down one of the last, the beginning part of our uh, road that comes up to our side of town. And there's a train, so I'm slowing down. The train passes, all this traffic moves. So I start going up the hill. I've got an Audi behind me and he's keeping up with me. Um, and then all of a sudden I look up and there's a police car behind me. And so I slow down expecting him to pass me because I don't think I'm going that fast. I can't physically go that fast on this portion of the road with my giant truck, especially maybe if I had the sports car that I always wanted. Right. And then he doesn't pass me. So I pull over and he tells me that I was going 80 miles per hour. And I respond, what? I was not going 80 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, I definitely didn't know exactly what speed I was going. I had an idea somewhere between 55 and maybe 70 at the most, but even 70 is tough in that stretch. I think 65 is tough in that stretch, right? And I was just cruising, talking to the kids, had worship on, we were about to get home. And he took my information and came back and then he said, he let me go, right? He didn't give me a ticket, praise the Lord. I was praying like, God, please give me grace if I was going that fast. And if not, I'm gonna to go to court and I'm gonna argue with it because I know there's no possible way I was going 80 miles an hour right here. And he just said he paced me. But if I had been going 55 miles per hour and this officer was telling the truth and he was mean at first, but nice at the end, I think he ran me and saw that I don't have any infractions ever on my license, right? Um, and he saw that I lived around the corner. So I think he was, you know, I think Montana's a little lenient on that stuff. So that worked in my favor. But if I had been obeying the law, I definitely wouldn't have anything to worry about. But I don't know where I'm going with that other than if we keep my commandments, we have life, right? And I won't get too much into it, but people complain all the time about getting in trouble or being arrested. Well, you know, my friend sent me this article today that was upset about prisoners not having air conditioning or I didn't read the whole thing, but it was just, guys, it's prison. It's not supposed to be this fun place, right? It's not supposed to be absolute torture. But at the same time, you know, you do the... If you do the crime, you got to do the time. Like Peter says, if, if you've done the wrong thing, what honor is it if, if you take it quietly, right? You know, you should take it quietly. But that the commandments of God, and hopefully this is getting somewhere, is life, right? That if we're obeying God's commands, we're going to find life in it. It's, it shouldn't be begrudgingly for us to obey God's command. And if we love God in our heart, we're going to want to obey those commands. It's not going to be hard for us to go, you know what? I don't want to drink today. I'm going to avoid the alcohol at the store because in our hearts we go, we love God. Why would we want to replace his spirit with drunkenness, right? Why would we want to do it? We love God. Why would we do the opposite? And that really kind of reveals what we truly love, whether we love God or we love something else. But teaching as the apple of your eye, you know, the pupil of your eye, I just think that if, if we come with a lens of good instruction and we put that over the world, you know, I can't drive without glasses on anymore. You know, I probably can in the day. It's a little blurry. But I can't imagine trying to go through life. I mean, I can. I used to. I still kind of do. But we need to put on the lens of Scripture on our eyes and let it be over the apple of our eye that when we come to situations in life, we let wisdom bring it all into focus for us, right? 
we've been praying about different things in life, and I feel like the Lord uh, gave me a scripture last night, but I don't totally understand how it plays out. So I'm wrestling through it. I looked at the commentary. I looked at the meaning of the words. I'm praying through it and considering it and chewing it and wondering, God, how does this play out? What does this look like for us and for me based on this verse? But he says, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. My mom would always write things on her hand. You could see the blue ink and script on her hand, tomatoes, uh, ice cream, you know, whatever was on that grocery list to go to the store. It'd be all over her hand, up and down the fingers, up and down the palm. You should have lipstick on the back that she tested out at CVS. But she'd write the things down that she needed to remember to get to the store. And we should do the same thing. I, I don't know that you should get a Christian tattoo. I think that that's an oxymoron, but that's another story. That's between you and the Lord. But sincerely, they should always be, like it says, on the frontlets of our heart and our mind. They should always be before us, right? To remember God's word. And a lot of times, we don't remember it. We just simply remember it. There's, there's important things. You know, you can memorize a verse rotely and it has no meaning to you. Or you can internalize and let it be in your heart. But say to wisdom, you are my sister. Again, this comparison of wisdom to a woman. This time, your sister, right? And a lot of times, you'd want to be able to take your sister close. Some sisters are, are not going to let you take them close. And others, you know, I always tell my kids to take care of each other, right? And call understanding your kids woman, right? That in an honorable relationship, the sister you're going to want to take care of and watch over. But why? Again, all this great wisdom from Solomon... The wisest man who ever lived, the guy who had all these wives and concubines, he says, stay away from the immoral woman. That the wisest thing you can do in life is stay away from a person who is immoral. Someone who is, if you're a boy, stay away from a girl. If you're a girl, stay away from a boy who's immoral. From someone who's a seductress who flatters with their lips. Why? Because there's the two most important decisions we ever make in life. One, follow Jesus. And two, if you'll marry and who you will marry, right? And that person, as we see in Solomon's life, took him away from the Lord. Got him down all these weird paths. I mean, how many times when there's someone you like, do you try and... I, I remember in college, starting to wear a different sweater because of some girl that I liked, right? And it wasn't me. I was shopping at a different store, trying to fit in, trying to be this other person. And it just wasn't me and it didn't fit. I ended up getting rid of the sweaters, right? Just... You know, trying to figure out who you are. And it was stupid. It was pointless. She wasn't the one I was going to marry, and I'm glad I didn't come close to that. But don't we do that to try and impress not even just a seductress, but just people in our lives? There's nothing worse than when I notice myself changing around others to try and please them. Or I notice people I care about changing around others to try and please them when it's just not worth it just be yourself if they don't like you well that's too bad i mean i mean if you're really weird don't be so weird if there's something wrong with you fix that thing that's wrong with you right you know pull up your pants stop picking your nose all those things right but on the other hand don't change just because you like the color green and they don't like green don't don't pretend you don't like the color green anymore and we tend to do that as believers right especially in the world we get around people in the world and that's not wise that's not a path to life that's a that's a path to death. And I think a lot of it comes down to, well, do we really believe that the world we're living in right now is exactly as the Bible says it, to tie it back to our Sunday studies in Revelation? Do we believe that behind this veil, all that is going on, millions, perhaps billions of angels, countless angels are bowing down before the throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. 
God is there in ultimate power. The world is coming to an end. Well, if so, I think we might care less about that. But let's go on. So verse 6, he says, From the window of my house, I look through my casement. You know, he peeks through the blinds. Uh, my boss was telling me about his uh, neighbor across the way who seems to be nice, but she's very nosy. <laughs> and you compare her to this character from a show, but, you know, sometimes a, a nosy neighbor is a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing. But Solomon says, I looked through the window of my house, and I looked through the casement, and I saw among the simple ones. Do you want to be one of the simple ones? Do you want to be known as one of the... <laughs> You know, like one of, just one of the, the kids of the mall running around without a clue. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. So he sees this group of people out there. He sees a bunch of simple ones, people who aren't maybe that sophisticated. I don't know how you figure that out, but I think maybe there's ways to, to figure that out. We were watching a, a video clip last night on how criminals pick their targets walking down the street and just... By their body language, it was easy for them to tell who was an easy target. I think that this kind of plays into that. But he notices, even amongst the simple ones, that there's one in the group who's a little more foolish than the rest of them. Maybe that was me back in the day. But he says, a young man void of understanding. That this man's understanding is empty. He does not understand the things of the world. He does not understand the things of God. He just, he's out there living life as they don't say it anymore, but YOLO, you only live once, right? He's just doing whatever feels good whenever it feels good, not to think about any consequence. And so this young man who's got peers who are simple ones, who obviously doesn't keep in good company, passes through the street near her corner and he went the way down to her house to this immoral woman in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. So, you know, it gets to be nighttime. Your mind and heart start wandering. He's a little lonely. And he goes, well, I'm going to go down this street over here. I know who's down there. Let me go down this street. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and subtlety of heart. So she's dressed, you know, not appropriately. You, attire of a harlot. It's clear that this lady is not keeping back anything secret for anyone else. She's selling herself. She's loud and stubborn. Ouch. Are we loud and stubborn? Or especially as a woman who's loud and stubborn? There's other proverbs about that as well and the way a Christian woman should be. And not that you shouldn't be loud or stand up or stand for what's right when it's necessary. But I think you get the point. She's brash. She might be one that you see on daytime television. Like, Remember that show Jerry Springer back in the day? Probably some of these ladies. Her feet do not abide in her house. So she's not content to stay at home. She wants to be out of the street. She wants to be out of the club. She wants to be out partying. And now she's out there, now in the streets, and she lies in wait at every corner. She know, she's like, when we're on the lake, there's always people going out fishing and they find a good spot. So I'm not a fisherman. You know, Bob was a fisherman, and he could probably would have speak better to this. But she's out there waiting. She's just put out her goods and waiting to hook someone and reel them in. She's dressed like a harlot and she's put it out there. And so she caught him and kissed him and with an impudent face said to him, I have peace offerings with me. So there's obviously this spiritual aspect to it. This day I have paid my vows. Therefore, I came out to meet you. You know, there's, there's probably different ways we could go with this, but she's on the surface trying to appear like she's some righteous person. Therefore, I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I found you. Was she looking for this simple guy? No, it didn't matter who showed up. 
she was going to date any guy that showed up at the bar that night. It didn't matter about this guy. You know, that's why I always wonder, like, how do people meet each other at, like, the supermarket or the bar or at college or, like, outside of, like, a church setting or a Christian ministry setting, right? I'm sure there's opportunity for God to use it. But at the same time, it's kind of like, you're just kind of like, let me see who is pretty. Let me see who's got the most muscles and I'll go talk to them, right? Like, why is that the first thing that comes to mind? Shouldn't you rather see them in action? See how they serve God? See how they love God? See if they're faithful to him? See if they worship, they raise their hands and worship? See if they show up on Sunday? Instead of like, oh, they're just the pretty one. And then try and shoehorn all these other things in there. No, no, no. Why? And that's the way the world works. That's the way the flesh works. We like the outside. And not that the outside shouldn't look good. But that's not the first thing that should draw you to somebody. I diligently seek your face and I found you. I've decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with five linen Egypt. So she's got idols on there. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. And when he, he will come home in the day... A point is, so she's like, look, like I got it all set up. I got my, I got the whole house to the cell ourselves. I've got, I got food. I've got music. Come on, let's go have, let's go have ourselves a little party. And they keep using this word love. And again, you know, I won't get into it, but the world confuses love and has all these signs and flags up about love. And it's not love. Love is sacrificial. Love is eternal. Love considers the better of others. And she's not loving her husband. She's like, my husband's not home. So she's this forbidden fruit. She's out, this poor guy's out, out on a shopping trip. He's out on a business trip. He took a bag of money. And that means he's going to be gone for a while. You know, he took his American Express traveler's checks. He's not going to be home for a little while. And so she's tricking him. And with her enticing speech, verse 21, she caused him to yield. Yield caused him to yield. That this guy was tricked by speech, and I don't know about you, but when a lady says nice things, it's easy to get tricked by it. When a lady shows interest, it's easy to be drawn by it. I mean, it happened to Adam in the garden. Eve was deceived, right? But it said Adam knew better. Adam just went, "All right, babe," and ate the apple, knowing full well it was wrong, but not wanting to upset his honey. She caused him to yield. You know, this man didn't have any strength of his own. He was without understanding. And so he easily, he could have been a big, buff, strong guy like Samson, right? And Samson was broken by, oh, Samson, you don't love me. Oh. Right? This big, strong man yielded by this tiny little Delilah. Because he was without wisdom. And he went after her straight away. Oh, oh. As an ox goes to the slaughter. Have you ever seen cows and they put this corral up and they just crawl through an ox, ox? They have no idea what's coming. They've never gone down this road before. The cows are really cute and really sweet. I want some and I want to raise some. But they're kind of dumb. They kind of forget they have kids sometimes too. They're just not the, you know, they don't know what's down, oh, 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 what's down this road. Oh, oh, it's the steak factory. Oh, 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 you know. They might even see some other cows there getting ready to be made into burger and they keep walking. 
And that's the picture of this guy going, oh, I was down here. Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, right? That a fool just keeps being foolish until he's locked up. And the stocks in the old days, they would lock you up in the middle of the road and everyone would make fun of you because you're silly. Until a dart struck through his liver. As a bird hastens to the stair, he did not know that it would cost him his life. You know, we think of the heart as the most important organ, but the liver is pretty good too. It cleans the blood. But he did not know that it would cost him his life. He's just hanging out with his buddies, being silly. He goes, oh, sees a sign, sees some lights on at the end of the road, goes down the road. It cost him his life. I don't know why. I don't know what it cost him. Maybe it cost him money. Maybe it cost him his livelihood. Maybe he got sick from this lady. I don't know. It cost Samson his life. Samson died in the end, right? Thankfully, Samson repented and God used him at the end, but his whole life was trash. He lost his eyes. Verse 24. Listen to me now, therefore, O children, and attend to the words of my mouth. How often do you have to get kids to listen to the... How many times do I have to say it? Just listen to the words that come out of my mouth. Don't let it get any farther than that. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not go astray in her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. And many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to Sheol. That's hell. Going down to the chambers of death. That Man, that, that pretty girl at the bar, that really nice flattering guy you met at work, they probably don't really care about you. And maybe if they think they do, they give away their love so easily that you're not the first in line. There's been many before you, and there will be many after you. So pick the right one. You don't want to go the way of death. And her house is the way to Shoal. At her house, it looks great. There's ointment, there's food, there's music. She's there. Got no, nothing to worry about, no time to leave. But that's really a doorway into hell. And I wish I knew that back in the day. But I was a young man void of understanding. Hanging out with some other guys void of understanding. Some smart kids, but they did not have spiritual know-how. Let's go on. Maybe I can sweat a little bit less in chapter 8. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? Remember that picture of wisdom as a woman? She stands on the top of high places. By the way, in the places of the paths. So she was crying out to this guy. She was on the rooftop. Not a wise road, dude. Way of death. You're not the first. She cries out at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the entrance to the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple, understand wisdom. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. That foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the Bible says. And it's discipline that requires to get it out of there. Sometimes it takes a little bit of a spanking. I'm not talking beating, but sometimes words don't listen. Something happens and they're putting themselves in mortal danger or they're, they're on a wicked path. Sometimes it takes a little bit of a to get that foolishness unbound from the heart. You know, we like to learn the hard way in life, right? It's why, because we had foolishness bound up in our heart and we never had it removed. So it takes an ow thing in life to pull that foolishness out. And unfortunately, that foolishness comes out and leaves us with a scar in its place and sometimes missing a finger. 
Here, for I will speak excellent things, verse 6, and from the opening of my lips will be right things. The comparison between the lips of a seductress, saying things that sound sweet but end up bitter, and the things, of the, the, the things that come off the lips of the wisdom of a wise woman, things that might sound bitter but are sweet when you eat them. For my mouth will speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. She doesn't even want to speak about wickedness. You know, the Bible says in Romans, is it Romans? Or is it Timothy? Maybe it's both. But the Bible says somewhere, I'm sure of it, that even to speak of the things that the wicked do in darkness is evil. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverse in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. If we just look through Proverbs, a lot of this stuff is simple. And it's plain if we just come to it plainly. And I think that's a part of foolishness is overcomplicating things. She says, receive my instruction, not silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. And man, Montana is the silver and gold state. La Aurora, La Plata on the flag, right? People made millions of dollars here. And then the gold all dried up. So hopefully they invested it wisely. Some guy, we went on a tour on Monday with Mima. And some guy built a house that looks like a castle. <laughs> you know, he spent all his money on these extravagant things that someone else owns now. But in life, that's the most important thing. Sometimes it's hard to want, but it's better to be wise and poor than rich and a fool because some, some of this experience we have, money can't buy it. Money can't fix it. Money can't fix the, the things that you've messed up. Like we looked last week about the no bribe is going to settle that thing. Verse 12 says, I wisdom dwell with prudence. So she's got a roommate named Prudence. I find out knowledge and discretion. Remember discretion, either covering and keeping things private that should be private and leaving things that should be public, public, but also being able to tell right from wrong and being discreet about things, not handing everything out all the time. And, and that evil woman is not discreet at all. Uh, there's another proverb that talks about a beautiful woman without discretion is like a pig with a ring of gold in its nose. That this beauty given to her is like this ring of gold, but because she's ornery because she doesn't have any modesty because she doesn't she tells everyone she loves them she's not she's not private about things and not separate about things it's like that beauty is just gold in the pig of her life but the fear of the lord is to hate evil pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth i hate so if you if you fear god doesn't mean you hate people people twist that doesn't mean you hate wicked people. As much as I regretted saying the former first lady and presidential nominee's name. I hate what she does. I hate what she stands for. I hate the directions that she would take us. But deep down, I can't truly hate her. Deep down, I have to remember that God made her and she needs forgiveness. But I'll resist her, right? But we need to hate evil. If we don't hate evil... We don't fear God. And if we don't fear God, as has been said, I submit to you, I don't know if you love him. And I don't mean to be afraid of him like an abusive parent 
might hit or hurt or abuse. And so you fear them and don't want to say things around them because you're afraid. But you realize God is holy. You realize God made everything. You realize God died on the cross for you and became sin. And so you love him and fear him at the same time. Because if my kids love me, they respect me. When my kids are disrespectful to me, which is few and far between, and most of the time it's just joking, taking a joke too far and then being too innocent to realize, I feel unloved. When they don't obey me and they purposely don't, I feel unloved. But when they respect me, I know they love me. It's not just them saying they love me. I know it. And that's the same with God. If we fear him, we love him. If we love him, we obey him. And if we love him, how can we have any friendship with that? The Bible says to be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God, to be God's enemy. I don't think any of us listening want to be God's enemy or consider ourselves God's enemy. So then why would we go along with the things of the world? Why would we fly the banner of the things of the world that are clearly evil and say, oh, God loves them. Yes, God loves them, but he hates evil. Evil killed his son. And there's many Christians and even popular musicians who you might even listen to who go along with the things of the world and say it's okay, it's love, and it's not. She says, verse 14, counsel is mind and sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. You know, Romans says the government in its right form is put in its place by God. Riches and honor are with me. Yes, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yes, than fine gold and my revenue than choice silver. She's repeating it. A lot of times we need to hear that over and over. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, and I will fill their treasuries. The question is, where's our wealth? If all you care about is silver and gold, and if you're wise, people who just obey the Ten Commandments in life, they're going to find blessing in life whether they love God or not. It's following the right paths of wisdom. But if all you care about is silver and gold, wisdom will get you rich. You invest wisely. You take care of your things. You buy and sell. You know, you buy low, you sell high. You uh, amortize. (laughs) As the famous saying at work, you dollar cost average. You'll make money. But is that the ultimate wisdom? Is that the ultimate wealth? Well, the ultimate one is in heaven. And Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. That all the stuff you have is getting in the way of greater riches for you. That you're super rich now. You want to be really wealthy? Sell it all and come follow me. Now, that doesn't mean that God wants everybody to sell everything. But the point there is the same. Is that, is that are you putting your treasure in heaven like we talked about before? Are you wanting to do things with your life that earn that are wise in the heavenly perspective? I hope so. And I think if we're seeking out practical wisdom we should eventually come to that spiritual wisdom. And if we're seeking out spiritual wisdom, it should overflow into practical ways of our life as well. I'll fill their treasuries. This is a name and a claim it. 
If you want a Ferrari and that's all you want out of life, keep praying about it. Keep working for it. I'm sure you'll be able to get a Ferrari one day. But if God doesn't allow you to get that Ferrari, it's because he's saying, hey, I got something even better for you than that. And if you do get that Ferrari, call me up. I'll gladly test drive it for you. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning before there was an ever an earth. You know, in the beginning, it says God spoke and there was light. But wisdom was there as well, that God created wisdom and God is wisdom. But wisdom, in a sense, in the intrinsic value of God was when God made the world, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't something that just went bang and accidentally made protons and neutrons and electrons and stars and galaxies over billions of years and accidentally made the earth and accidentally something crawled out of the ooze and became a monkey. No, God with wisdom said that there be light and invented protons and put them together and created the atomic table and the way these different elements come together to combine into bigger ingredients and metals and gases and liquids and solids. And with wisdom, he took the dust of the earth and breathed in it and made you and I. And we're not an accident. He knew before the foundations of the world. He had a plan. I don't always have a plan. Sometimes I like to have a plan because I'm so foolish I can't handle not having a plan. But I tell you, God always had a plan. The Lord possessed me, and I read that. Uh, yes. How far did we get? Where are we? See, I'm, I'm lost. I went down the wrong path. For his works of old, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. Before God even created all these things, wisdom said that this would exist. And not wisdom himself, but God through his wise attributes. When there was no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, think of Mountains are pretty settled. I don't know if you and I can move it, but we looked at um, these rocks and scientists think that they folded over and everything and they're pretty solid now. They're not going anywhere now. But wisdom was there before them. Before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the first dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. To all the flat earthers, I'm sorry. Even Solomon, thousands of years without a telescope, knew that the earth was round. And even scientists with basic math could sit around and look at shadows and distance and figure out that the earth was round. But when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, I'd love to go down the rabbit hole of fountains of the deep one day, but not today. When he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, you know, there's... Water is not going to flood the whole earth again. He's laid a boundary for it. Then I was by him, wisdom says, verse 30, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part, habitable part of his earth. And my delights were with the Son of Men. That God is wise, God made wisdom, that wisdom, like an angel, like a being, in a sense, rejoices before God and glorifies God. That wisdom... Loves having a part of people's lives that if wisdom were personified, uh, it would take joy when people are wise. You know, this world is not an accident. This world is not fate. 
that when good things happen to you, God want, God can use all things for good in our lives, right? But when we're wise, God wants us to be wise, that good th more good things would happen to us, that in the spite of a bad thing, that if we act wise through it, there might be an even greater blessing. And not that God can't do miracles, but I think even wisdom in itself and being wise and finding wisdom and knowing the wise thing to do is a miracle that we overlook. Verse 32, Now therefore listen to me, O you children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not refuse it. How often do we refuse free things or free food? You know, we, me and I went out on an errand the other day, Craigslist, to get some pallet wood to make a chicken coop. And we're coming back. We went to Wendy's and we got Frosties and French fries. And we were very wise and dipped our French fries in the Frosties because that's the best way to eat a fry with a Frosty is dipping it in there. But they made us an extra one. And they asked me like I was going to say no. They said, you know, we made a mistake. We made an extra Frosty. Do you want it? Like, of course I want it. And they're like, well, no, no, no. It's actually strawberry. We told you it was chocolate. But she meant strawberry. I'm like, I don't care. I'll take whatever it is. Just give it over. <laughs> right? And that's the way wisdom should be with us. We should not refuse it. Wisdom is free. Being foolish costs. Wisdom provides a blessing. Being foolish takes your life. Blessed is the man who hears me watching daily at my gates, watching at the post of my doors. And we have to pay attention for that open door of opportunity in life. That there's, you know, I forget what the saying is, but it talks about opportunity and talks about, you know, preparation, right? That when preparation meet opportunity, I think it's something like that, that there's blessing. That we have to look for opportunities in life. That when you're looking to buy something, right? Or there's something you want, it's not always the best idea to run out and buy it. You know, I, I'm looking to get another tool, one that I foolishly lost because I left it stuck on the bottom of the car as it's a magnet and it fell off. But I was looking to buy one. I'm like, well, actually, Labor Day is coming up this weekend. There might actually be a Labor Day sale. Let me wait till the weekend and see. You know, I don't know that I really need it. But the point is, is that the best opportunity would be for me to wait for that opportunity for a Labor Day sale coming up this weekend. And sometimes we have to buy things full retail. It's just the way it works. But if there's an opportunity in life, sometimes we just need to be ready to seize it. Carpe diem, as they said in Rome, seize the day. That we need to be ready every day to go to the gates of wisdom and say, what can I do to, even just in a practical way, better my life today? Well, it's sunny out. I should go outside and play. It's, uh, you know, I've got a little bit of time. Like tonight, I had a little bit of time before coming and uh, doing this. Let me go work on the car for a little bit. You know, I bought a car to fix up the cell to flip and there's a couple things I looked at and I made some progress. So that was seizing the day besides the fact that I just didn't want to sit inside anymore, which is probably my real motive. But the point is, is that a lot of times people say, well, I never have opportunity. I, I always miss out. I never get it. Well, are you prepared? Are you waiting for that time? Do you have money saved up for when that deal comes along to get it? You know, there's a lot of great deals on Craigslist, but I don't have the money saved up to get the things that I want. You know, I said to me, I bought an oven so I can't buy a motorcycle. But in life, right, when that door of opportunity opens up to share, have you spent time with the Lord? When that door of opportunity comes up to serve, have you been asking God, where can I serve? Like that little girl, Sam Sarah, wanting to get baptized, asking her mom, her mom praying for an opportunity. At least you want to get baptized. We go do the baptism. They are able to come. There's a door of opportunity. What did she do? She, no. I said, does anyone else want to come down and get baptized? And she came down 
on her own accord. She was there looking at the gates of wisdom, saw the opportunity to do it. The Ethiopian eunuch, he said, there's a puddle over here. Is there any reason why I shouldn't get baptized? And how often do we overcomplicate things in our foolishness and say, well, I don't know how to get there. We'll see that later. Or it's too hard, or I don't know, or I've never done that before, or I'm not ready. And God's going, this is the desire of your heart. There's an open door right in front of you. You got money in the bank, so to speak. Go do it. And even if you don't, I'm calling you to go do it. So let's go. She says, forever finds me, finds life, and will obtain favor of the Lord. Chuck Smith used to say, stay under the spout where the glory comes out. You want to be in a place where you're going to get God's favor in life? It's not a magical thing. Some, you know, Obviously, there's a spiritual element and a miracle element to it and a God's providence to it. But again, sometimes it's God's providence is just being in the right place at the right time because you're doing the right thing. And the right thing puts you in that place where that glory comes out. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. And all those who hate me love death. That's strong. And I know we're going long. I'm going to close up real quick here. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. This ties back to what we started out to in 7. Corinthians says, those who commit sexual immorality sin against their own bodies. Sin against their own souls. And we're wrong in ourselves. The first person that gets hurt when we're not wise is, well, guess what? You and me. It's not the person that you paid too much for at the car dealership. They're, they're not hurt by you overspending. You are. You don't, don't have the extra money. I know I'm using simple, practical examples, but man, the first disappointment you'll have, no one else is going to regret You're going to have it. Let alone the people in your life that are affected by the decisions we make, right? But the tough one is all those who hate me love death. Just like the door to her house goes down to Sheol, foolishness, we want to be foolish and we want to continue in it we truly love death because if we love life we'd want to be wiser if you love you know i like saving money because there's so many things we need to buy and do and have and feed it behooves me to try and buy get the best deal be the wisest thing and i'm not that great at it but i'm a little better than i used to be so i'm going to do the things that require i'm going to buy the store brand i'm not going to buy the heinz i'm going to buy the walmart if it tastes fine so if we don't love wisdom, we don't love doing the right thing, there's only one other option, and that's loving death. We'd really rather enjoy death. We'd rather get drunk than be full of the Spirit and hear from God. We'd rather hug a toilet than bow down and pray. And there's a difference there. Like I said before, if we love God, we're going to fear Him, and we're going to want to be wise. And the first step to being wise, obviously, is knowing it comes from God, but it's also just realizing that you don't have to be wise to get wise. That being wise is really just realizing that you need wisdom and you don't have it. That's the wisest thing anyone can ever do. I think a lot of us think wisdom is this high and lofty thing and that's not attainable, but it is if we would just seek it and seek it in God's word and ask him to show us. And a lot of times it's the simple thing and we, through God's spirit, are given the strength to do that simple thing that we don't somehow don't think is possible, even though it's the most wise thing. So God, help us to love life and to heed you. God, make us wise by your word. Where we're foolish, forgive us. Where we're afraid to step out, God, give us strength. 
where we don't know what something means, God, give us understanding. Where we're just foolish and don't know how to handle something, let us get counsel. Let us Google search. Let us ask a good friend. Let us get counsel. Let us wait even for the, the right answer. But God, when it's clear and it's simple and it's just foolishness getting in the way, let us put that aside and lay aside every weight and just go after the, uh, the good things of you and, and trust you for the consequence. And even if we step out when what we think is wisdom and it turns out to be foolishness, God, you honor that. You provide for that. You say, oh, it's okay. I've still got a way for you to get through this that'll be just as good as it started. Why? Because we were trying to follow you. And just like a little baby making missteps, God, you don't punish them for it. In fact, you probably pick them up and give them ice cream, God. So we ask that you would just bless us and cover us and guide us as only you can and let us treat wisdom as our close friend. Uh, in Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord There is a vineyard for our soul With all our troubles left behind the door We drink first light until